Welcome back to this week's edition of Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast to bring you insurance news and an inside perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies and is sponsored this week by VPay, the total payment solution. I'm Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering how insurers are preparing America for the next pandemic, a joint solution unveiled by the property casualty insurance industry to protect the nation's businesses and nonprofits during future outbreaks. Plus, customer retention, how insurers adjust their business models amid COVID-19 to better serve policyholders. And going virtual, the decision to move NAMIC events online to protect members. But first, the insurance industry has unveiled a new proposal to help businesses meet the financial challenges from future pandemics. The Business Continuity Protection Program was developed jointly by NAMIC, the American Property Casualty Insurance Association, and the Independent Insurance Agents and Brokers of America, or Big Eye. On today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamnus got the inside story about the program and what it's designed to do for customers from NAMIC Senior Vice President of Government Affairs, Jimmy Grandy. Well, COVID-19 is dominating our lives in every sense these days, and that's especially true when it comes to NAMIC's advocacy work in Washington and in the States. So it seemed only fitting to get the latest on what's happening in Washington and in state affairs from our own Jimmy Grandy. Senior Vice President of Government Affairs at NAMIC. So, Jimmy, welcome. Thank you, Chuck. Appreciate you having me today. I'm happy to have you and to really hear what you have to say about uh, issues that are of great importance to our members. Let's start with uh, the big news of last week. Uh, we had the unveiling of a proposal by NAMIC, APCIA, and the Big Eye uh that really rolled out a long-term solution for dealing with this uh, devastation we've been experiencing for the past few months related to pandemic uh it's the business continuity protection program so jimmy maybe start out with uh, what is it and what's it designed to do sure that's a great question thanks chuck you know the business continuity protection program you have to start with um why we thought we needed to come up with anything and as an industry our basic operating premise was we learned pretty quickly that pandemics are not insurable and when you start with the combination of an uninsurable event and a global uh, crisis pretty quickly um, you start to figure out that people start pointing at and looking at the insurance industry and there were proposals that were coming out that uh, didn't understand the very nature of insurance or the nature of the pandemic risk. So uh, NAMIC uh, took it upon itself and working with its members and its policy committees to start thinking about, could it create a solution that could provide uh, pandemic uh, coverages and protections for America's businesses in the event there should be another crisis like COVID-19. And um, when we began uh, the, the process of coming up with a program, um, we, we sat down with our board, which gave, gave us some clear policy guidance in terms of some goals you know, to make sure that any program that was created would work for all businesses and organizations, profits and nonprofits, 
that it would be simple, uh, transparent, as efficient as possible. Uh, the idea being that should our country ever find itself in a situation like this again, um, we would be able to quickly get money to the businesses that need it to keep their doors open. Um, and so that was where the idea came together to create a program. Uh, NAMIC then spent uh, several weeks uh, working with its policy groups and committees to create a program, and, we, and at the same time our uh, sister organizations had been working on their own solutions, and pretty quickly we were all able to come together and create a single proposal that um, nearly the entire industry could support. Uh, APCIA, NAMIC, and the Big Eye. And the program's relatively simple per our guidelines on the front end. It creates an opportunity for every business in America to purchase revenue replacement assistance from the federal government. Uh, the program would be housed at FEMA. Um, it would be based on your previous year's tax returns. And it's meant to be simple enough so that when your independent agent is in uh, talking with you about your coverage needs as a, as a business, uh, they could simply also say, and, hey, do you have protection for pandemic? And let me tell you about this program. And then that agent would be able, through a one-page simple application, uh, get that business signed up for uh, the program, and they would be able to get uh, protection that would last up to three months and up to 80% of their uh, payroll, um, employee benefits, and operating expenses. Um, and it, it, it'd be a pretty straightforward program. No uh, claims adjusting or complexities on the back end either. It would, it would be a parametric trigger that would be triggered through uh, the president declaring a uh, viral emergency. Um, and know that that is not something that exists yet today, but our program would create that. And so pretty quickly, if we find ourselves in a situation where uh, we have to shut our economy down and our government's going to close it down, the president would declare a viral emergency and all of these policies would immediately be triggered and paid out um, in a formulaic way so that there wouldn't, you wouldn't need to wait. Money would be able to go out the door uh, almost immediately. The program would be based over at FEMA. Um, and yep. it's based at FEMA because that's where um, our country deals with national crises and emergencies. So that's a good overview, and uh, it does sound like it would solve the problem, and clearly it meets with our board and member guidance in terms of the principles that we we're trying to address. But there's also another uh, proposal being rolled out, and you know we've both been around long enough that we remember the tragic events of 9-11, the response by, you know, public policy to create what became the TRIA program. Um, and I know there is another proposal being discussed in Washington that will be um, introduced soon that uh, kind of builds off a TRIA-like concept. Do you want to give us a little bit on that briefly and then uh, kind of explain why <laughs> the obvious, which is why is ours better? Well, that's a good question. Um, if there wasn't a problem with the proposal they were working on, we wouldn't have needed to create one. But, you know, I don't remember who said this, Chuck, um, but I, I cite it all the time. It was once said that um, Congress does two things well, either nothing at all or overreact. And I, I tend to think that's true in most cases. And in this case, um, 
I think people like to imagine elected officials and leaders to have more um, understanding of what's happening to them. And I think they were as rattled and confused by the crisis as anybody. And when looking forward and looking for solutions and feeling some pressure to be the ones that come up with solutions, they just look at what's on the shelf. You know, what do they know? They, they, they know about the flood insurance program. They know about the TRIA, the terrorist insurance backstop, which they just finished negotiating. So in the early days of the crisis, um, you know, somebody had the incredible creativity to pull the TRIA bill off the shelf and uh, replace the, P, the T with a P and call it a Pandemic Reinsurance Act. Um, they've come a long way since when they first just changed the name and they've, they've created a program um, that's still based off of TRIA but is made a little bit more in the liking of and, and taking the characteristics of a pandemic into consideration. But um, from our perspective, as we started looking at it, it's, it's a flawed model. Um, you can't create a backstop if you don't have something to backstop. And backstopping business interruption policies is not the way to make sure the economy survives the next pandemic crisis. Um, only roughly 33 to 35% of uh, businesses even have business interruption insurance. So if you're trying to solve a societal problem, you, you're missing a big swath of it there. And um, business interruption insurance has all sorts of limitations in terms of duration um, and coverage and scope. And so creating um, a program based off of a terrorist risk model doesn't work for um, pandemic risk. They're, they're fundamentally different types of risk. And um, trying to force a pandemic risk into a TRIA model uh, didn't work very well, and, and it would likely create uh, – a lesser product for more money, which would mean that most of the businesses in America wouldn't get the coverages that they needed under the PREA approach. Well, let's, um, let's kind of turn to the process, having heard about how the approaches work. But um, you know, I was very proud of our industry uh, kind of coming together around this proposal and working on it crafting it and rolling it out jointly. And it doesn't always happen, and usually it's for uh, legitimate reasons. Um, I remember once testifying on the covered agreement and sitting next to then CEO Liam Pusey of AIA, who is now merged with uh, PCI to become APCIA. But at the time, um, it was Representative Luke Meyer, I think, just asking us, why can't you both agree? And, of course, there's an obvious answer to that, we know as trade association leaders, uh, we don't agree, and this was AIA having a disagreement about the covered agreement with NAMIC, we don't agree because our members don't agree, and our members don't agree because they're different types of companies, albeit in the same industry. But in this case, we did agree, and our principals showed that to our board work, but maybe you give us a little uh, background on how, how it all came together and um, you know what the process was. Sure. Uh, that, that's a great question. And I, I think the, um, the dividing line on this has been more about people who understand risk and people who don't understand risk. And it just turns out that 
a risk-based approach to insurance underwriting that serves us so well in all of the products we underwrite because it sends price signals to all markets, even including uh, terrorism insurance, is just simply misaligned with the goals of a public health response to a pandemic. The, co the companies um, and industries most likely to be impacted in order to be shut down um, are, are the ones that would probably be the ones that would be most likely to serve as vectors of the viral transmission. And you don't want to incentivize those companies to remain open. You actually want them to shut down during a pandemic. So a public health emergency is very different than anything else. And so in this case, um, if you are in the insurance industry, you, you have a core basic understanding of the risk-based approach um, to insurance underwriting. And so the insurance industry found itself uh, remarkably close together. NAMIC had created a, a program very similar to the one we introduced, as did APCIA. Um, and when we were comparing notes, as we often do in our coordination, uh, we realized that they were so similar that it would be more effective for us to come together and to create one proposal um, instead of having two proposals that were very similar. And so that's what we were able to do. And it, just in a matter of days, really, we were able to combine the programs together to create really, truly what I think became the best of both. Um, and we now have uh, an alternative. Uh, a lot of, uh, this won't surprise you, Chuck, from your days in Washington, but a lot of uh, elected officials on Capitol Hill uh, need to be for something without often understanding what those details are. And uh, because people were talking about this PREA, uh, we had members of Congress who were starting to cite it as the solution without really understanding how it worked. So we wanted to make sure we uh, interjected into the debate a program that would actually work and solve the problem that we're trying to solve, which is make sure we keep our economy afloat and small businesses operating should we be in another crisis. Well, I think it, uh, it was a great approach and it worked in this case, and I'm sure we'll find ways to work together and stay together as this thing uh, progresses. Speaking of that, uh, what are the next steps with uh, the BCPP? So I think we're going to have a, a longer road in front of us than um, a lot of uh, people had hoped. Um, you know, Congress. Uh, despite the fact that we're still in the middle of our uh, shutdown, social distancing correctness, um, Congress is slipping back into its pre-COVID um, partisan wrangling. And so they're struggling right now on figuring out the next steps to the emergency response. If you know, you remember COVID-1, COVID-2, COVID-3, they're trying, they're fighting over how to keep the economy running, how to reopen things. And so they really haven't turned their attention to a long-term prospective solution to stop the next or, or aid in the next crisis. Um, so we are going to be socializing this on Capitol Hill, um, building support and doing education. You know, it's, uh, I've found that when you can take the time to sit down and explain to people 
how insurance works, what a risk-based approach is, how that not everything under the sun is insurable. People who don't understand insurance like to say, well, anything's insurable. Well, no, it's not. There are fundamental underlying characteristics to insurance, like there are so many other things. And so when we're able to uh, talk to lawmakers about that and help them understand what's unique about a pandemic risk um, and explain it to them in very human terms, like one of the things we've been describing to them is that this pandemic would be like having 9-11 90 days in a row everywhere at once. It would be like a flood that affected the whole country, not just New Orleans. Um, it's the, the, the scale and magnitude of the devastation are hard for people to um, get their head around. And so really what we're going to be doing is a whole lot of education and talking to not just members of Congress, um, state houses, governors, but a lot of the policyholder community, right? Because the insurance industry um, really wants to create a product and a solution that's going to work for the businesses, their, their customers. And so uh, we've already started engaging with a lot of the top policyholder community, too, trying to make sure that they understand how this program would work and how, that they, they, how they might be able to participate in it and find a product that's affordable, available, and would meet their needs should they ever need the program to work. So let's... Uh use our last couple minutes here to uh, get beyond the policy and look at the elected leaders who make the policy. We're five months away from a national election. Uh, I definitely can't think of any comparison to this environment or the months leading up to a national election where everyone from the president on down is on the ballot. So maybe you could give a sense of um, where we are and factors you see uh, kind of leading into the election in November. Yeah, it's it's for for those of uh, us that are sort of political nerds. This is a, a fascinating time, and um, geez, before the uh, pandemic hit, we were probably in such a unique period of American politics that there were no other parallels in the course of history, and just giving the personalities of today, the divisiveness of today, um, the technology and the way in which uh, data is moving today. But now that we're sitting in the middle of this uh, COVID-19 crisis and we're only five months out from election day, it starts to become very difficult to uh, project uh, exactly what we'll be looking at. You know, the, the president is being on TV every day um, trying to steward the country through the crisis. Meanwhile, it was during COVID that the Democrats finished their primary and landed on Joe Biden as the nominee. And he wasn't really even able to get out there on the campaign trail as he became the nominee. He was in lockdown just like the rest of us, trying to figure out how to um, have a presence and a profile across the country you know, from his basement. And so... I think you're going to see it, it really hasn't become a binary choice yet. You know, in the early part of the crisis, the president was enjoying a typical sort of crisis-like bump for any president during a, during a time of crisis. Um, as the 
misery meter has gone up and unemployment's gone up and the economy suffered and, and people are out of work and um, people are ornery and unhappy with being trapped at home and not seeing friends and loved ones, uh, that is not in an environment which someone would want to seek re-election. Um, I suspect the president may be at a low, though, right now. You know, if, if we're going to try to reopen the country um, and if the economy starts to bounce even a little bit and recover, that probably gives at least his supporters enough reason to stay with him, uh, you know, that uh, anybody who voted for the president in 2016 is likely to stick with him as long as it looks like the country's rebounding. Um, but I think in the coming weeks and months, you're going to see uh, us emerge from what is this quiet period in the political realm because it seems a little um, improper to be having political discourse. And I think you're going to see uh, the president and Joe Biden go toe-to-toe um, in a pretty aggressive way. Um, another interesting thing will be is how does this impact turnout? You know, as one side or the other tend to stay home and be a little bit more frightened to go to the polls? Uh, do we have a second wave of this in the fall? And what does that mean in terms of turnout? Um, so it's going to be interesting at the top of the ticket. Um, and then when you look at Congress and the state houses, so much of that will be determined by uh, the atmospherics created above it with this bigger than life uh, Trump versus Biden. Um, much will follow that. I, I think the Senate will certainly go along with whichever uh, nominee wins the White House. And uh, if President Trump gets reelected, um, by more than a point or so, he'll have an opportunity to possibly even sweep and get the, the House. Um, and I think it's a narrow enough margin and an uncertain enough time that if, if Joe Biden um, gets to his feet and takes on the president and beats him, I think he's certainly going to come back with a Democratic House and he might have enough momentum to have a Senate as well. So it'll be interesting to see whether we end up in divided government um, either way or possibly a sweep. I think all four of those scenarios are very much in play as you look at this today, I think, Chuck. Well, time will tell. What we know is uh, elections matter to us, to our members, and the policy environment that we work in is created by elections, and we'll spend about a million two of this cycle helping elect uh, the kinds of leaders that we know support the public policy and the framework that uh, our member companies and their policyholders need to operate in. So we'll be at work uh, trying to affect the outcome for our industry. And for those of you who are uh, listeners and NAMIC PAC contributors, uh, we thank you for that as well and urge you to keep giving as uh, this election is certainly to be a very meaningful one. So Jimmy, thanks for the time today. Thank you, sir. And you can learn more at NAMICPAC.org. On the next Unscripted, Chuck shifts the focus to the states and the courts amid COVID-19 when he sits down with NAMIC Vice President of State Affairs, Aaron Collins. They'll discuss NAMIC's growing judicial advocacy to thwart misguided legislation that would require insurance companies to cover COVID-19 losses when the policy language has not provided coverage for this loss. The coronavirus pandemic has forced companies worldwide to shift their business models to continue meeting customer needs, and the insurance industry is no exception. According to data from Celent, COVID-19 has forced insurers to pivot their priorities to focus more on cost reduction and retention. 
A new study from VPay finds digitizing claim payments is one solution that could help. More than two-thirds of customers say the ability to receive same-day claim payments is important to their overall experience. And more than half say they would consider changing insurance companies for the ability to receive claim payments instantly. VPay CEO Jeff Brown says statistics like these should be a wake-up call to insurance companies that have been reluctant to adopt digital payment frameworks, pointing out they risk losing policyholders to those that do. Let's just broaden it beyond just insurance. Let's think just in, in the normal world that consumers live in today, whether you're using you know, Uber or, or um, you're using Amazon, this, this idea of a frictionless transaction that enrollment is, is easy, that your, your payment information is vaulted securely, and it's really just clicking a button using a mobile interface in particular, right? So, you know, you see it in all kinds of industry, retail, um, transportation, hospitality, groceries. A lot of people are, this is how they're buying groceries today, using their mobile device. So you take those experiences and you apply them to the insurance context. And it's not surprising that consumers, policyholders, injured workers, third-party claimants, they want those same type of experiences, right? So, you know, the survey that we did revealed that, you know, more, to eight, more than 80% of the consumers that had had a recent PNC claim say insurance satisfaction depends on um, three particular points, ease and convenience of the claim payment, the speed of the payment, and their ability to get the money quicker. And I would, quick, quicker. And I would say that those, those aspects have probably been enhanced. They were there before COVID. They've been enhanced with COVID. While broader industry discussions around automated claims processes are important, Brown says insurers need to consider that a policyholder's last experience is most memorable in terms of overall satisfaction. For this reason, the last mile of digital claim processing, or the payment, is a critical component of strategies aimed at improving policyholder retention and satisfaction. And now we have an important announcement about NAMIC's event calendar. All in-person events will transition to a virtual platform for the remainder of 2020. This includes the annual convention in Boston scheduled for September, where we had planned to celebrate NAMIC's 125th anniversary. The events may look and feel different, but with input from our members and the fine work of our dedicated team, we expect to find new creative ways to bring event excellence directly to you. So please stay connected with us online at NAMIC.org for the latest event updates and information about how you can still participate from your home or office. Look for more information coming soon. And that's a wrap for us this week on Insurance Uncovered. Thank you once again to VPay, the total payment solution, for sponsoring this episode. And of course, we'll be back on June 10th with more insurance news and interviews. Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a wonderful day.